Welcome to Catholicism is Cool with Mary. Okay, um, in this episode, I want to talk about the other doctor of the church, St. Teresa of Avila. Um, One of my recordings is St. Catherine of Siena, so it's those two. And St. Catherine, I think, died in 1380, and St. Teresa in 1579, so 200 years, two doctors of the Roman Catholic Church. Okay, so in this book, Interior Castle, it was basically a vision given to her by God when she was um, asked to write a treatise on prayer. And she knew a lot about prayer from her own experience, but she didn't know what subject or how to approach it. So she prayed to God about it, and he gave her a subject, and it is an interior castle, and he gave her a vision of a most beautiful crystal globe made in the shape of a castle containing seven mansions, and in the seventh and innermost of which was the king of glory in the greatest splendor. So, and then she says, the nearer one got to the center, the stronger was the light. Outside the palace limits, everything was foul, dark, and infested with toads, vipers, and other venomous creatures. Wow. Okay. And she says, while she was wondering at this beauty, which by God's grace can dwell in the human soul, the light suddenly vanished. Although the king of glory did not leave the mansions, the crystal globe was plunged into darkness, became as black as coal, and emitted an insufferable odor, and the venomous creatures outside the palace Boundaries were permitted to enter the castle. And she wished that everyone could see this vision. So I'll read that for you. This was a vision which the Holy Mother wished that everyone might see, for it seemed to her that no mortal, seeing the beauty and splendor of grace, which sin destroys and changes into such hideousness and misery, could possibly have the temerity to to offend God. So she is telling her, like, um, confidant. What do you when they always the the holy people always had someone that they would tell their deepest experience of God to, and this one was Fray Diego, and he became her biographer. And he said, do not tell anyone what you just told me. So anyway, now we have, I'm going to read through each mansion and share with you what they're about. And that's what this whole book is about, um, getting to the seventh mansion, the innermost one. Okay. Let's go to number one. Oh, geez, it was, sorry, stuck in the middle of the page. First Mansions. This chapter begins with a meditation on the excellence and dignity of the human soul made as it is in the image and likeness of God. The souls in the First Mansions are in a state of grace but are still very much in love with the venomous creatures outside the castle, that is, with occasions of sin, and need a long and searching discipline before they can make any progress. So they stay for a long time in the mansions of humility 
in which since the heat and light from within reach them only in a faint and diffused form, all is cold and dim. Okay, that's the first one. I don't want to be there. Second mansion. But all the time the soul is anxious to penetrate farther into the castle, so it seeks every opportunity of advancement, sermons, edifying conversations, good company, and so on, it is doing its utmost to put desires into practice. There are the mansions of the practice of prayer. It is not yet completely secure from the attacks of the poisonous reptiles which infest the courtyard of the castle, but its powers of resistance are increasing. There is more warmth and light here than in the first mansion. All right, getting a little better. The third mansions. The description of these mansions of exemplary life begins with stern exhortations on the dangers of trusting to one's own strength and to the virtues one has already acquired, which must still of necessity be very weak. Yet, although the soul which reaches the third mansions may still fall back, it has attained a high standard of virtue, controlled by discipline and penance, and disposed to performing acts of charity towards others, it has acquired prudence and discretion and orders its life well. Its limitations are those of vision. It has not yet experienced to the full the inspiring force of love. It has not made a full self-oblation, a total self-surrender. Its love is still governed by reason, and so its progress is slow. It suffers from aridity and is given only occasional glimpses into the mansions beyond. Aridity um, is when you feel a dryness, like you, you don't feel fully engaged in prayer or connection to God. And aridity is very lonesome. It's not fun to be in that stage. So let's get out of the third mansion as fast as we can. My goodness. Okay, fourth mansion. Here the supernatural element of the mystical life first enters. That is to say, it is no longer by its own efforts that the soul is acquiring what it gains. Henceforward, the soul's part will become increasingly less and God's part increasingly greater. The graces of the four mansions, referred to as spiritual consolations, are identified with the prayer of quiet, or the second water in the life. The soul is like a fountain built near its source, and the water of life flows into it, not through an aqueduct, but directly from the spring. Its love is now free from servile fear. It has broken all the bonds which previously hindered its progress. It shrinks from no trials and attaches no importance to anything to do with the world. It can pass rapidly from ordinary to infuse prayer and back again. It has not yet, however, received the highest gifts of the Spirit, and relapses are still possible. All right. Fourth mansion gives us hope. Okay, the fifth mansions. This is a state described elsewhere as the third water, the spiritual betrothal, and the prayer of union, that is, incipient union. It marks a new degree of infused contemplation and a very high one. By means of the most celebrated of all her metaphors, 
that of the silkworm. St. Teresa explains how far the soul can prepare itself to receive what is essentially a gift from God. She also describes the psychological conditions of this state in which, for the first time, the faculties of the soul are asleep. It is of short duration, but, while it lasts, the soul is completely possessed by God. Okay, that sounds very interesting to me. Um, These concepts are big, so I'm going to have to probably read that chapter even more closely. Okay, the sixth mansions. In the fifth mansions, the soul is, as it were, betrothed to its future spouse. In the sixth, lover and beloved see each other for long periods at a time, and as they grow in intimacy, the soul receives increasing favors, together with increasing afflictions. The afflictions, which give the description of these mansions its characteristic color, are dealt with in some detail. They may be purely exterior, bodily sickness, misrepresentation, backbiting and persecution, undeserved praise, inexperienced, timid, or overscrupulous spiritual direction, or they may come partly or wholly from within. And the depression which can afflict the soul in the sixth mansions, says St. Teresa, is comparable only with the tortures of hell. Yet it has no desire to be freed from them except by entering the innermost mansions of all. Wow, that's intense. Okay, the seventh mansions. Here at last the soul reaches the spiritual marriage. Here dwells the king. It may be called another heaven. The two lighted candles join and become one. The falling rain becomes merged in the river. There is complete transformation, ineffable and perfect peace. No higher state is conceivable, save that of the beatific vision in the life to come. Okay, so that's just a brief intro to the seven mansions. I'm going to read just a tad more. While each of these seven mansions is described with the greatest possible clarity, St. Teresa makes it quite plain that she does not regard her description as excluding others. Each of the series of moradas, the use of the plural throughout, especially in the title of each chapter, is noteworthy. So, they may contain as many as a million rooms. All matters connected with spiritual progress are susceptible of numerous interpretations, for the grace of God knows no limit or measure. Okay, so here is a quote from her. There is no life more real than the interior life of the soul. Very interesting. So that's Interior Castle, St. Teresa of Avila. And I believe she also wrote another book called The Way. All right, I hope you enjoyed that. I thought that was um, intriguing, to say the least. I would like to learn more about this, and I'll visit it again. All right, thanks for listening to Catholicism is Cool. Share with your friends. Thanks. Thanks.